Hello, and welcome to Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and I am the Jack Wilshire of this podcast. <laughs> Once every four or five games, I pop up and do something useful. I'm here with Ryan O'Hanlon. <laughs> I'm the Ashley Maitland-Niles of this podcast. Ooh, the conservative. Yeah. Micah, what Arsenal player are you? I'm not an Arsenal player. I'm... Oh, God. We're already into <laughs> I'm Paul Pogba. <laughs> and we He's got Donnie Kwok on the line from New York. Donnie, if right. you have, do you have an Arsenal avatar? Yeah, I'm like, is that the finisher? Oh, for sure, dude. Uh, As you can tell from the opening bants, we will be talking a lot about Arsenal Manchester United. Just quick straw poll. Micah, game of the season? So far, I'm going to say yes. Ryan? Uh, Liverpool, Maribor won. This is two. <laughs> Donnie, game of the season? Yes, 100%. All right, 3-1 Manchester United. Two, two goals for Jesse Lingard. This is our massive overreactions section, by the way, guys. Entirely dedicated to this game. We had two goals from Lingard, one from Valencia, two assists from the god Paul Pogba, one goal for Lacazette with a crazy, did he mean that, Aaron Ramsey assist. Arsenal outshot United 33-8. to <laughs> 16 to 4 on target. Get your XG out. Uh, United <laughs> is in second place now on 35. Arsenal is in fifth with 28. This had everything. This had incredible goals. This had world class keeping. This had end to end play and a red card. So let's start with the massive overreactions. <laughs> Ryan, David De Gea is a god. Uh, I think that's an underreaction. Okay, good. If, if that's even a word, I would say he's the. What comes before God? Like to have the concept <laughs> yeah, of God, there has to God. <laughs> a saint, a saint. like or an angel who sits at his table. You know, no, no, like <laughs> the concept. God didn't. Something God, something created God, right? Demi God, David De Gea, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, or he saved him at least. <laughs> so he made. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, can I ask there what's no... up with De Gea? What do you mean? Hey, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I know stats don't really apply to gods um, or whatever De Gea is, but he made the most saves since we've been keeping save stats in the Premier League of any keeper ever. He's made the wait, made, but not ever, right? It was just in the in he tied for the most. Yeah, last, since yeah. we've been keeping stats <laughs> already, so the ever is still true. <laughs> If you can attach in the Premier League era onto the end of a stat, it's a significant one, Donnie. <laughs> um, second, one keeper has made more saves in the top five European leagues, I think, this decade. Um, here's a stat from Opta. This season, he's saved 11.2 goals more than expected this season, which is 4.5 better than any keeper in the league. That is insane. And he has the highest save percentage in the Premier League this decade by like a full five percentage points i just want i want to ask you one follow-up question about the hair before we get the the more partisan parts of this podcast involved I, I, okay I, I, I you're gonna get to say that you have david de Gea's tattooed into your back on top of the ball <laughs> pogba tattoo that you have in your back just give me one second the de Gea thing we there was an article on stats bomb i think last week that was about how burnley's numbers the defensive numbers one of the reasons why they're defensively overperforming their numbers is because of the amount of shots that they basically change or block by intervening players, basically like stacking players in front of a shot. I almost at one point felt like there was a concerted effort on Manchester United to be like, 
De Gea versus the shot is better than any defender being in its way. And it was almost like, let them shoot. I mean, there was a lot of, like, rebound, two saves, kick saves, quick twitch reaction saves. But it was uncanny at a certain point. When you get up to 33 shots, Everton shot six shots uh, yeah. you know, in, in, a, in another game this weekend. 33 is bizarre. 33 is, like... A team that's as good as Man U supposedly is, the second best team in the Premier League, that just n- almost never, ever, ever happens. It's like a Burnley or like a Brighton are the teams that give up that many right. shots. And that even for those teams, that's still insane. I think there's no like special like Man U are doing something that's allowing De Gea to make this many saves. Sure. It's, he is saving their ass time and time again. Well, starting Chris Smalling, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike. No, but can I... Can I, can I oh, sorry. Yeah, no, get, get involved. Get involved. No, I mean, De Gea is a world-class goalkeeper. Nobody can dispute that. However, I think it's being a little bit overblown how well he performed on Saturday. This there were two extraordinary... Content. There were two extraordinary <laughs> saves, which were the Alexis rebound after the Lacazette shot. And then the Lukaku almost own goal where Zaka was near and he put out a palm, uh, De Gea did, and saved it. Other than that, it was a lot of routine saves, a lot of shots outside of the box. And in fact, I think Adrian of West Ham had better saves against Man City honestly, than De Gea did honestly, against Arsenal. Donnie, honestly, and in, fa- and in fact, no, 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 watched, no, 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 fact, no, 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 fact, no, 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 than De Gea did. If you watched all of the shots, there's compilations of all of the shots uh, on Saturday at the Emirates. There were a lot of routine saves. I mean, there were shots from Kolisinac and Bellerin from outside the box. Those, if, very, if those had gone in, they would have been howlers. This is very salinated okay, commentary. So from that's you, Donnie taking us down a notch. <laughs> And now he's a great he's a great keeper. I'm not I'm saying not, he's I know, not. I, I know you're, you're oh, making a point. That this is this. There are some people out there who have been like, we're overreacting. Micah, yeah. are we overreacting? No. I, okay. So here's the thing: is that 15 of those 33 shots came from outside of the box. I will give you that. Arsenal beat themselves to an extent. I will give you that. I want you to admit on air that Man United kind of helped you. The thing is that. David De Gea, some of those saves were, I mean, like even the the Lacazette, the Lacazette save. I mean, like Arsenal has a has a tendency to make the exact wrong decision at the exact perfect time. <laughs> so, I mean, like he was right there in front of the goal. That one save is a is a save that you might expect a keeper to make. He made it in a very acrobatic fashion. Closing down uh Sanchez right there in front of the goal with the kick save. Amazing. That was an amazing save. It was an amazing save. But then again, that was also something that was one that Sanchez should have scored theoretically. The thing is that positioning plays a part in making those saves routine, and a, a good keeper positions himself well to make those saves. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I mean, like, there is like a qualitative <laughs> difference when you see that first goal from Valencia go in. That's through the five hole. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that just goes right through Czech's legs. Exactly. Czech's one of the great Premier League goalkeepers of all time, but De Gea is not. At least right now, making any kind of like there's no routine mistake that De Gea makes, and that keeps United in games. They did not have the ball very much. They basically won this game on like four or five plays. You know, yeah, they, yeah. You know, they had a couple of sequences where they won, and they like Michael. What you're saying, th- Mourinho's teams seem to absolutely feast on Arsenal's mistakes. If Sanchez tries a flick, 
you know, outside of the box to get something going towards the end of the game, that's when the Pogba Lukaku Lingard Pogba Lingard goal comes. And that mm-hmm. that yeah. actually was a, in some ways more impressive to me than the Martial uh, flick, which was out of this world because when you watch the Martial oh. assist in real time, <laughs> you think it's a back heel and you don't realize that he did a full speed 360 turn to put it on a platter and say, would you like Sriracha or Tabasco with it? And it's just Mike like... Is, Mike is about to Millie Rock. I, I mean, honestly, Donnie, like I, it's you, listen, y'all let, y'all let Jesse Lingard, Manchester United's most lovable tween, like Millie Rock <laughs> at you, or, like at the Emirates. And the, I mean, I liked it. Even, I enjoyed it. Even saying that goal, uh, he that's him chasing down. Uh, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Skodron. Skodron. Just say Mustafi. Mustafi. You don't even have to worry about it because he was out thirty seconds yeah, later. Yeah, right, got, him, got right himself hurt. Um, him chasing him down, and the three of like uh, Lingard, Lukaku, and Martial combining um, that attacking line with the split forwards, Lukaku and Martial. You expect uh, Mourinho in an away game against a ostensible top six side to play more conservatively, to be like very disciplined, and they were, but they were out of the gate fire. They played fast rather than having Mkhitaryan set stuff up. They there played to play on the bla- the break, and they and, you know Arsenal had been improving in, against counterattacks. I think by playing yeah. three center backs and playing a little deeper, I thought that they were getting a little bit of a handle on it. But there's really no game plan you can have against speed like that. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think we're also kind of underplaying how weird this game was in addition to being crazy like so arsenal this is these numbers are insane that arsenal had that many shots and man you had that that few but part of the reason they had that many is because man you fucking punched them in the face (laughs) twice in the first 11 minutes so yeah exactly so The first five shots of the game, man, you took four of them and scored. And then Arsenal took the next 15 shots. Like, it's not a coincidence that man, you scored twice and then Arsenal Didn't, had all yeah, these yeah. chances. So in a well, way, was, in a way, every save De Gea made was sort of making the numbers even crazier. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if Arsenal tied it at any point, I think, man, you probably would have sat back a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah, this is, we were talking about this a little bit before, is that it was almost like Arsenal got out of bed 2-0 down. And then when they were playing to, to make the game up... Not for the it, first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like, say, after after Pogba gets red-carded, and immediately after that, Darmian comes on, mm-hmm. Herrera comes on, mm-hmm. the game has changed. Like, Mourinho killed the game like at that moment, which made me think that it could have happened at any time. Yeah. It was just but, that they, but, were contr- they were creating enough chances on the counter that he didn't feel that he needed to take Lingar out. Yeah, at the same time, as I say all that, it still was bizarre to watch a Mourinho team go up 2-0 and just have no control over the game. That being said, Donnie, you can jump in here. It was also, I wouldn't say bizarre, but heartening to not see an Arsenal team just get absolutely trucked. Going 2-0 down past Arsenal sides I've seen you you worry about five. You worry about yeah. six. You worry about guys completely giving up. And this Arsenal squad is actually quite fun to watch because I feel like in a, in a way its narrative is on a knife's edge. This whole yeah. idea that their two best players are basically on a ticking clock mm-hmm. and that they could be sold in January but probably won't be sold until the summer and what are they doing and what's their best... Is he going to play his best 11? Is he going to play people in the right positions? But... You know, I think the Arsenal shot themselves in the foot here, but at least they didn't bleed out. Yeah, I mean, to use a f- 
Ryan was giving a, a fight analogy. I think the analogy I've seen and I agree with is that Arsenal was just jabbing and Manchester United was throwing like KO blows. So it was hard. I mean, there's not the usual angst, post-match angst uh, there has been when Arsenal loses to a top six side uh, because it was the best 11. There were the two errors that led to goals. But as you said, Chris, there was a fight back. And I think part of it, too, is score effects. But when Mustafi went off, not for the first time this season, Arsene switched from a back three to a back four and added a Wobi to the midfield. And I think that actually made the offensive play more fluid, adding that extra man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, again... Granted, they were down 2-0 and uh, United was sitting back, but I mean, you can see in the, he created the goal, the only goal they scored. So overall, after the match, it wasn't that much. It was disappointment at losing, but it's not like that typical Arsenal fan angst of who's our best 11, who's leaving, you know, are we ever going to beat a big team? It was just a couple silly mistakes. Yeah, and, no finger out. It wasn't like, yo, you, Mourinho pants to you. It was, it was fine. Uh, <laughs> Micah, I want to do burn through a couple more massive of reactions. Uh-huh. Here's one for you. Ashley Young should be the captain of Manchester United. I wouldn't even put massive in front of that. It might be a slight overreaction. So I'm basing this largely on when Pogba gets sent off for stomping on Bellerin by accident. Uh, <laughs> the announcers noticed, as did everybody else, that Young ran over to Mourinho before the red came out. Way before. And he just was like, He's going to send him off, so give me the instructions. And it was a sort of situational awareness. He's been something of a Swiss Army knife out of nowhere. I mean, I never would have guessed in all the years of all the money that Manchester United could be spending that this guy that they kind of got off the scrap heap from Aston Villa a few years ago and it's just stuck around. You know, I mean, Luke Shaw should take heart from this. You never know, man. You never know when you're never going to go. Should Luke Shaw take heart or should Luke Shaw be like, fuck, I can't get in the team <laughs> yeah, over I Ashley Young. Yeah, I can't. Um, <laughs> Ashley Young just, he's the one out there who seems to be Mourinho's uh, field general. And yeah, it, I, mean, I like, can't believe this. I mean, well, the thing is that he's been, I mean, like he was used in those Louis Van Hall teams, uh, the Moist teams. Um, he's always been good at whacking in a cross. It's just like the, the situational awareness of going over to Mourinho after the red card, like you said, and on top of that earlier in the game, Ozil trying to loop a free kick into the near post, which they had like showed a lot of the uh, the near post side of the goal, and Ashley Young dropped back and did the FIFA tactic um, and headed it out. Like <laughs> those are things that are he just seems to come up with it when when you need it. I mean, like when uh, Pogba went down against Basel in the 17th minute in that Champions League game with his hamstring injury uh, a month or two back. It was him and Fellaini combined to get the goal that kind of steadied things. Yeah. It was, and it's just, if you're thinking back to the Ashley Young that was at Watford in 05, 06, and you're thinking about now, you're thinking about Ashley Young having a bird shit in his mouth yes. in 2015. He's, this is not, that's not a metaphor. I mean, a bird shit in Ashley Young's mouth in 2015. Um, he was on that Watford team that had uh, Ekbongahor, Jay Demerit, Marlon uh. King, England's Lions, man. <laughs> Jay, Jay Demerit, I guess, is America's Lion. Uh, it's just really interesting. He went from being sort of this uh, inside-out winger who would cut in 
to now playing fullback, but also kind of plays a little central defensive midfield when playing fullback. I saw him in the middle towards the end of the game. He was really... You have this very skeptical look on your face. You know how, like... I've got a counterpoint for him being captain. It was so disrespectful when he celebrated against Watson. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't celebrate after scoring a free kick like that, I mean... That's I'd like if I was your teammate, I would slap you. Listen, it's we wake up every day and like anything can be on the news. You know, like there it's the world is so unpredictable. The one thing I thought I had was like a mediocre British player not scoring again his for, against his former team, pushing his teammates away and walking back to the center line. And without that, it's like I'm an unmoored just being Instead, floating. You through. got a perfect knee slide. Donnie, uh <laughs> Ashley Young actually played on Villa with another prominent Premier League player now. Fabian Delft. Yeah, right, and that's why I was I was going to kind of push back on him being picked up off the scrap heap when he was bought by United because he was actually quite good for Villa. But you know what? All of this talk made me think about kind of, you know how like rappers eventually as they get older, they start singing? Do I ever. <laughs> it's kind of if you think about like Ashley Young or Fabian Delph, they were attacking players that are now like wingbacks or defensive players. So that's kind of like the future for. I mean, like if you're a young pacey winger, you got to add that to your locker so that you can age gracefully. I was gonna say the same thing. Like it feels like like last year Milner, Actually, Victor Moses too. Yeah. Victor Moses, mm-hmm. Jesus Navas was like a functional fullback for Man City last year. Mm. It seems like a a good manager can take a player with some kind of talent and turn him into a decent fullback yeah, pretty Yeah, you can put him in a position that compensate, that like can make up for whatever deficiencies yeah. he has. Uh, let's burn through these last two. Lingard should start for England. Uh, if they can nationalize Pogba and pair him with Lingard, then sure. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, right. Ryan, Ryan a, compared compared Lingard to like Dirk Kite and Tucky <laughs> thing. In, 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 in the last <laughs> podcast, and I was just was imagining, imagining Ben Isn't Millie Dirk rocking. Kite, you're like your third favorite athlete no matter what sport, next to Chad Pennington and, uh, like, like Wally Backman. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Lin- Not in, in all seriousness, though, Lin- Lingard has, has, you know, that X-factor energy. Yeah. Uh, but he also has a little bit more quality, I think, um, his comfort on the ball and how quick he is with the ball yeah. and his decision-making. It's kind of annoying, actually, watching homegrown players like Lingard and Rashford for United kind of reach their potential. Speaking of Rashford. And, and we have like Walcott and the <laughs> departed Ox who just reach a level and then who never surpass like it. Who are like 27 but still somehow seem promising, quote unquote. So has Lingard surpassed Rashford in the one Micah Peters personal hierarchy and in the sort of Mourinho rankings? I think he likes him more than Mkhitaryan. Yeah, I mean. I think he likes playing three vertical forwards. Yeah. Rather than a slower guy who's going to put his foot on the ball and look around, yeah, you know, which is interesting because he's apparently interested in Ozil. So I'm curious about what he wants to do with that, but we'll see. Yeah. But back to the question about Lingard for England, I don't imagine him starting, but being that super sub. I mean, like he's like he's good because if you have a manager that can harness his pace in the right way, then Lingard is a useful tool. If you send him on in like the 74th minute to destroy defense with tired legs, or if you put him on in the first, if you, if you start him and you have him chase down, you know, center backs that are taking a while to, to adjust to 
that somehow aren't on or awake after the whistle. Or yeah, but for for England particularly, they're playing. I, mean, I know we're going to go into the draw later, but they're playing Tunisia and Panama yeah. team, teams that are going to sit back. Yeah. England's going to have most of the ball. I don't know if Lingard is as effective in that scenario. It's better I, for him to be pressing and kind of. Yeah. yeah. Let's get to this last massive overreaction. Ryan, the title race is over. Pogba out for the Manchester Derby next week with the red card. They're not going to appeal. So, what's the starting midfield for United that week against Pep? Fellaini Nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think the title race was over a little while ago. I think the issue with this is like, so Man City needs to, for the title race to exist, Man City needs to stumble and then not get back to where they were. Yes. And then you need another team that's going to go on a run. And I don't think, like, I don't even think Man City, Man U is the second best team in the league. Like, so they won this game, but... The game against Arsenal didn't make me think, oh shit, this team is like coming for Man City. Who do you think the like, second best team in the league is? It's either United. Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, or Tottenham. So you think <laughs> that they're all that bunched together? You don't think United has like separated itself from no, the pack? No, that's I interesting. Don't. I based on the eye test, I would say that this United team, in almost any other year, I would say oh, they're they're the obvious champions. But I guess that that's pretty interesting that you think that that they. I th- they, they're, like, closer to the pack than it looks. I think De Gea is amazing, and he's going to keep being amazing, but he's not going to be this amazing the entire season. And then you look at it the other way, and Man Manu's converting their chances, I think, at a higher rate than any team this decade. Mm. They're just not going to do both of those things the whole season. They're going to fall off a little bit, I think. Are you disappointed that we're not going to get Pogba in the derby? Obviously, you're disappointed yeah. as a United fan, but do you think that this spells a leagues up by Christmas kind of scenario? Oh well, yeah, I mean they're, they're going to uh, Man City gets 11 points clear if they if they win this weekend, which they probably will. Um, and they can't lose that. I mean, like they just yeah. there's no. There's, I mean, they have to win. That's like a four. They have to win. Five game yeah. cushion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it's there's. No conceivable way for I think if Liverpool was performing, if Liverpool had attacking outings like they did against uh, Brighton every weekend, I feel like they would have been like maybe on par with Man City at the, if they would have started like that and sustained that. Get all the depth. Can I say one quick thing about yeah. Pogba? I know I've criticized Pogba jokingly mostly in the past, but he was really. Amazing. Yeah. On I mean, Saturday. If, you need a, if you need some tape to to kind of convince you that this isn't just like us being freaking out at memes, like that was one of the best all around performances I've seen and in it, a yeah. long time. The thing is, it's like the quality on the ball is amazing, but then without the ball, if you watch the United goals, particularly the first and third one, He's, the way he draws attention, it's like his presence yep. alone is impactful, and that kind of separates stars from superstars. Yeah, yeah. He's when like it's Anthony just Davis like they in that way. Suck all yeah, the attention. Like yeah, we were t- like we well, were. So he's there. a difference maker, and that's why I think you know. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but f- him not playing five matches is probably going to swing the title. Yeah, I mean yeah. his his absence earlier in the season probably got us in the situation we're in now. I mean they only dropped a few points when he was out. Four, I think maybe, but you know his his absence for that month with the hamstring. You know, obviously players get hurt. Uh, they there is no replacement for him, and if you build a team around him, then his absence is going to really sting. What were you going to say, Mike? Uh, Ryan, um, I was just going to say that it's amazing that like a center mid has that much gravity yeah. on the field. It's like you know, Xavi is one of the best center midfielders of all time, but. As he approached the box, the other team wasn't like, "Oh fuck, what is coming?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, most of the and a couple of those goals. If you watch the replay on them, I think the um, the actually the the first Valencia goal and the 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 Valencia goal and the first Lingard goal, 
the, you can see second. What? The second Lingard goal was when he put— well, No, like, not the counterattack goal. Oh, okay. the, the two goals that happened closer to goal. Oh, okay. You can actually see four or five Arsenal players are Pogba watching. They're not yeah. ball watching. They're not yeah. where's the run coming from. It's they've lost possession and then they all stare at Pogba. And <laughs> the, it, it obviously created a huge amount of sp- space for these other players. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. We'll get back to some zonal question marks and run through the rest of this Premier League weekend. Support for today's Ringer FC show comes from Greats. Greats is Brooklyn's first sneaker company with classic styles for both men and women. Greats made the best for less. I just got my first pair of greats, the Royale, in all white, um, just beautiful Italian leather. Keep them fresh, man. Super comfortable, super clean. It's going to be a struggle keeping them clean, actually. but Because you don't want, want to wear them all. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I can't recommend them enough. Uh, all their shoes are versatile for every moment, casual or formal, including bestsellers like the all-leather Royale lace-up and the Worcester slip-on. No wonder GQ says that Greats is, quote, shaking up the sneaker store inventory flow, and they're, quote, building the next great footwear company, according to Forbes. These shoes really are as great as they sound. But if you're unhappy with your pair, you can exchange them or return them for a refund, no problem. So go grab a pair for yourself or someone you love. They make the perfect gift for the holidays. And now you can save 15% on your purchase when you use the code FC. Just go to greats, G-R-E-A-T-S dot com and use the offer code FC for 15% off your first purchase. Guys, let's talk a little bit about Hotel Tonight, who is the other sponsor of our glorious podcast. The holidays are coming up and you know what that means. That means lots of family time. But with Hotel Tonight... You can have the best of both worlds. You can visit your family, and you can stay in a sweet hotel. There's no crashing on an air mattress in your old bedroom that your parents turn into a gym. You don't even have to wait until the family starts to drive you crazy. You can actually book a room up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities, which means you can lock down your holiday plans before you head home or wait until the last minute if it's more your speed and take a break when Uncle Tony starts talking politics. I am doing this in Philly, a little Philly staycation Mm -hmm. adjacent to my mom's house, but not in. You okay. know, so I'm, I'm very excited about Smart. this. Whether you need a room for tonight, the holidays, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app because while home is where the heart is, hotel is where the room service is. This year, pull out of the pullout couch and get a room with Hotel Tonight. All right, let's do some zonal question marks for the Premier League this weekend. Ryan, is this a blip or a crisis for Tottenham? Uh, I think it's it's a blip. Um, is it a blipsis? Yeah, that's good because I kind of feel like it's somewhere in between. I think Tottenham is still a very good team, could still finish top four, but what, a month and a half ago we were talking about them as sort of arguably the clear second-best team in the league. Yes, and had been the best team in the league for the last 18 months. And now, regardless of how sort of what their underlying quality is, just based on where they are in the table, I think you would— they're the sixth favorite to make the Champions League at this point, yeah. right? Wouldn't you say yeah. out of out of uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man U, um, the top six? And that's that's a big drop off. I think they've been a little bit unlucky um, the past couple of games, but the thing with them is like, I think they have Dyer, Vertonghen, Harry Kane, Eriksen, Deli Ali, Sanchez, Alderweireld, Trippier. Ben Davies, they've all played at least 1,200 minutes yeah. so far this they're season the, already. The Timberwolves, yeah. <laughs> um, so that coinciding with them sort of 
still being pretty good, but not as good for the last stretch of games, uh, I think is concerning going forward. As Do far you think as that there is anything to the idea that that victory over Madrid did something to them psychologically? Since then, they beat Palace one nothing, lost to Arsenal two nothing, beat a what is looking like a pretty shabby Dortmund team two one. Yeah, drew with West Brom, lost to Leicester, and drew with Watford. Yeah, so if they drop what that's. In the it's league, five points they've in dropped, five games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they've dropped thirteen out of a possible eighteen points. I mean, that's, I honestly, the two things are linked. If you only have a really solid first team and not obvious replacements for key positions, and on top of that, your best center back is injured, the second best center back is injured, and then the third that you brought in has is on a red card and going to be serving a three match ban. Like there's not it's I don't necessarily think that it is they're victims of their own success outside of they are playing in multiple competitions and don't have subs and don't have uh, people that can come on and relieve the like you know Deli Ali should be able to sit for games like games against Watford or whatever. I mean, I, frankly, their form should be worse because they should have lost to West Brom and they definitely should have had a penalty at the end. Uh, Watford should have had a penalty at the end. That was like a very clear handball. Yeah. Eric yeah. Dyer. I think but, you, you could also say, though, that they sort of got lestered by vintage Lester, mm-hmm. and that, that's just not a thing that happens every game anymore. Like the Vardy goal was insane. Well, it's got yeah. them playing better, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. Um, let's go to another zonal question mark. Should Liverpool just get rid of their defenders? Uh, <laughs> Liverpool had some illnesses, had some injuries, and wound up starting three at the back with Dejan Lovren flanked by Emre Khan and Georgie Wijnaldum. And they won 5-1. <laughs> uh, uh, the one was not really a defender's fault. It was a, pe- a pen, you know, so yeah. it, was, it was what it was. Um, any hopes that uh, this would turn into... Philip Lom playing central defensive midfield or some like massive positional <laughs> switch going forward. Georgie Wijnaldum uh, really shut down after the game when he was just like, that was terrifying. I don't <laughs> want to do that again. Although I have to say that um, they're like playing super athletic, aggressive center backs looked like it worked for Liverpool, even though Brighton let them have the ball for most of the game. Yeah, I've always sort of had this semi- real theory that Liverpool gives up so few shots and they go in anyway, they'd be better off just playing a field player in goal yeah. than just being playing 12 against 11. <laughs> and that's sort of the same thinking behind this because it's, you know, last year Liverpool couldn't beat <laughs> teams like Brighton, right? Yeah. And so you play, they played Wijnaldum and Chan next to Lovren and when either of those guys got the ball, they just dribbled up the field yeah, and drew time. defenders at him. The two wingbacks were pushed all the way up, giving them width, and they just totally destroyed Brighton. And at the same time, when you look at their shape when they had the ball, Lavrin was like 15 to 20 yards behind Chan mm-hmm. and Wijnaldum. So that kind of gives them an extra safety valve, even though it's Lavrin dropped deep. Yeah, their, right. their whole team wasn't pushed as high as they normally are. Um, I mean, they gave up one really good chance in addition to the penalty. Um, but like, this isn't a way I, I think you can play against a good team. But no, but it was it was exciting because it, was, it showed a certain adaptability by Klopp, who I think has been a little bit 
hard-headed when it comes to making his yeah. like in every place but keeper he is exactly really really like it's just it's going to be mod up and lover and if they're if they're healthy it's going to be you know henderson and, and sean in the middle if they're healthy with winaldo and to see some dynamism like i i am hoping that i'm i'm hoping that if city walks away with a league it actually forces some managers to try some different things because mm-hmm. okay league's out of hand if i drop a point as long as i stay in the top four I'll live. And maybe you start to see some interesting, whether it's youth players coming up, whether it's, hey, I'm going to move this guy in or we're going to try a different formation or three at the back. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like if you have, I mean, like we were talking a couple of weeks back about Alex Ferguson starting only two strikers and eight defenders. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure like people would be inspired to do something different than say a three, four, three or a four two three one or whatever, like they'd try some ridiculous things, and that would definitely make for more interesting games. It's also it goes back to what we were saying about Tottenham. The n- nice thing about this game for Liverpool is they have a Champions League game tomorrow, and they rotated a lot of their players. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about the formation is like he kind of tailored the players he was rotating, the f- formation around the players he was rotating in. Yeah. I, in I think I saw a stat that Klopp has used almost double the amount of players or, or lineups than the second most manager. Yeah, I, I think so. if you want to get excited about Liverpool going forward, that's the reason too. Cause I Klopp also thought managed. it helped out Coutinho, um, weirdly. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a lot of... There's a, there's a, a, a sort of platonic ideal you want your midfield. You want a central defensive midfield. You want a Xabi Alonso. You want, you want the Mascherano Alonso axis. Yeah. <laughs> and then you want the Gerard who just does whatever he wants. So you want these three who, who have like distinctive, like they all know what they're doing. And I think that the Henderson, Sean, Ronaldo, Coutinho dropping deep stuff that they do sometimes just doesn't feel completely right. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's completely clicking. And for some reason, Having those guys being playing far much deeper downfield, Coutinho had a little bit more room to work. Obviously, it was Brighton. It's not exactly like mm-hmm. taking it to you know Valencia on a on a Tuesday night, but they they looked good. Yeah. Well, it also the other thing was those wing backs being able to push up stretches the defense and gives more space underneath for yeah. Coutinho to kind of do, do his um, thing. Liverpool have uh, Everton this weekend in the uh, Liverpool Derby, the Merseyside Derby. Micah. Uh, what did Sam do right at Everton to fix this stuff? Uh, I think it was just the the earthy presence of his Englishness <laughs> that just, just happened to make uh, Everton uh, get three points off of West Ham in midweek and then another three off of, uh, who, who was that? Was that? Uh, Huddersfield. Huddersfield. Um, I mean, you know, this is just kind of what he does. He comes in and kind of, organizes people correctly and then apparently hires a sports psychologist to get <laughs> Gilfie Sigurdsson out of his funk. <laughs> um, yeah, speak, speaking of, uh, we were talking about Ashley Young and Fabian Delft before, but resurgent former English hotshots. How about Aaron Lennon? Oh, yeah. He yeah, couldn't wow. even get a sniff of the lineup in the beginning of the season. And, and actually, I didn't watch the Everton match, but in the highlights, he was all over the place. Yeah, it turns out, I, I don't think, there's a couple of these teams where they, they brought in you know, they were not as in the relegation battle is going to be very interesting. But a couple of these teams that were in crisis were not in as bad shape as we sort of thought that they were. And I think Everton's probably chief among them. They have enough talent there. They should be way, way safe, especially given the problems that, say, a, a Swansea are having. Yeah, I mean, you just you look at this game and Huddersfield just created absolutely nothing in this game. And that's kind of what Big Sam does. Uh, 
finds goals and organizes the defense. And I don't think that's what Everton fans were hoping for at the beginning of the season by any means, but uh, he's going to... I would be shocked if the end Everton was fighting relegation. Do you think that, just to quickly talk about the relegation battle, um, Palace got some points recently. West Ham played very well against City. If they play like that against the rest of the league, I think they might be okay. Who are you seeing in the top, in the bottom three when we get to the end of the season? Do you think that Huddersfield is kind of going to tap out pretty soon? Do you think Rafa's in trouble if they don't get some reinforcements? I think the one clear team that's going to get relegated in my mind is Swansea. Yeah. They, they just can't score or create yeah. anything. It's like Tammy Abraham getting a couple shots off and hoping they go in. And that's it's we saw it with Middlesbrough last year. Their defense was actually decent, but they just couldn't create shit, and it doomed them. Um, Huddersfield just really seems like they're kind of tanking. I, I think they're probably going to get relegated too. Newcastle, I think they maybe built up enough of a— points cushion for themselves. Yeah, the big question would be is if Rafa goes in January. Yeah, if he leaves in January, I would, you know, they'd be right in here. Um, But I think, I kind of think West Ham still goes down. I mean, that's the thing. It's like they play Chelsea and Arsenal. Those are their next two games. Like they were in a bad position and they hadn't actually played a tough schedule yeah, yet. Yeah, no, that's kind of the thing. That and the only thing that David Moyes is saying in post games is, you know, like we're... It was good to see them giving effort. Yeah, well, that was, was a major issue them for them. Is that yeah. they kept finding themselves in these situations where they were getting rocked because nobody showed up. Yeah. Well, at the same time, like if if that is your the most pressing concern, that's not exactly a team that sounds like it's going to be staying up. Yeah. Yeah. One thing he did th- do though, and Donnie alluded to it, is getting rid of uh, Joe Hart and bringing in Adrian. And I think Adrian's actually a really good keeper. We didn't actually do that. It was just because Joe Hart couldn't play against Man City. That's true. But (laughs) there there have been some reports that uh, Adrian's going to keep his spot. Well, he should. I I think that'll make a difference. He did a good job. All right, guys, let's uh, let's go and end this pod with a conversation about the World Cup. The draw came out last Friday. And I want to ask each of you just a pretty simple question. Um, give me your winner, give me your <laughs> sleeper, and give me, you know, sleeper being like the team that nobody's watching, checking for that could get really far based on both the draw, but also just how you're feeling about them. And then give me the team that's the, the you know, the, the hot team that's going to have a really tough time. Are we talking winner as in team that is going to win the World Cup? Yes. Shit. Um, okay, my winner is Brazil. Um, I think the draw partially works out for them. Uh, if you look at it, they're probably going to be lined up with Mexico in the round of 16. That's not that tough of a game. England in the round quarterfinals, again, probably worse than Mexico. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> then uh, possibly France or Portugal. It's going to get tough, obviously, in the semis. But they're not going to, most likely, they're not going to be on the Spain-Germany yeah. and Argentina side of the bracket. So I think it just... One of those, those teams could all beat each other up. I think it, it, it Brazil is probably the favorite anyway, um, and I think it kind of opens up for them um, based on the draw. Uh, what are the other ones? Loser? Uh, no, just the, like a, a sleeper team that nobody's really checking for and then a, a team that you think is going to face a lot of trouble based on their draw. Um, I think Senegal would be my sleeper team pick just because Mane is awesome. They've got Keita Balde from Monaco. Koulibaly, who's one of the best center backs in the world for Napoli, I think they have they have a good amount of talent. That's good. Um, good shout. Just those guys can scare a bunch of teams, and I, I don't think their their group is that tough either. 
Um, and I think Portugal kind of got screwed over. Me too. I also think Portugal, especially if Ronaldo is not at world star killer base levels, I yeah. think that they have some yeah. talent problems. So Portugal was the seeded team in their group, and yet they have to play Spain in the group stages, which, you know, Portugal maybe wins the group still, and they're matched up with the worst group, which is the Uruguay-Russia kingdom of Saudi Arabia uh, <laughs> grouping. But then Portugal is, if they come in second, they're sort of on track to play France, and if they come in first, they're on track to play Argentina in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Um, so that's just tough. Michael, what about you? Um, I want to say, like, I'm, I'm going to... I want Argentina to go really deep in this tournament just because if you stop to think about this is the last chance that Lionel Messi has to win a World Cup. And then also the fact that Argentina just has this paradoxical thing where they struggled to get in, but now that they're in, they seem like favorites because there's just no way that you have all of that talent and can't figure out a way to organize it in a effective manner. Um, I want to say... That, hmm, I like. I want to say Iceland's my sleeper, but that's this isn't the Euros. I'm gonna say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say uh, maybe Nigeria. Yeah, um, as a sleeper to get out of that group D. It's a really yeah. tough group, but they could do it. Wobi and Ianacho. Wobi and Ianacho. Yeah, that's that's really the only <laughs> like that. And, and Victor Moses. They have the, 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 well, Victor, well, Victor Moses. Yep. And they had that comeback win over Spain. No, it was Argentina. It was Argentina. Who they're in a group with. Yeah. Every, I mean, every World Cup, they're in the same group as Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, if, if we're being, if we're going purely off of the ELO ratings, as you have, Ryan, <laughs> uh, then yeah, I would say that, Barcel- that Brazil is going to win. Um, but I still like Nigeria as my sleeper. All right, Donnie? All right, I didn't really prepare for this, but <laughs> based on Micah's responses, I'm going to say Argentina's not going to make it out of the group stage. Okay. <laughs> Germany will win the whole thing. And just looking at the bracket, sleeper, I think Poland potentially could play England maybe in the in the first knockout game and win. Okay. And Serbia as well potentially could give, I guess I'd pick Germany as a winner, but give Germany problems if, if, if Serbia's... Um, finishes second so uh good okay so i think this is the year for france finally um i I just feel like this this generation is going to have that much more experience they're so deep if they can finally figure out a way to play and they can keep the harmony going uh i think that this is the year for them for just based on talent so basically i'm it's not unlike manchester united if pogba is healthy going to the world cup yeah can i say one quick thing about france yeah to add to that Kingsley Coman had two goals over the weekend. One, he's 21, and it feels like he's been around for eight years. And two, like, I forgot that he even existed because of all the other incredible yeah. the talented yeah. players they had. Yeah, the the sleeper team I have, which is, I don't know. I mean, I, I this the, the sleeper, it's it's really difficult because it's like, it, could they sneak through? But I, 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 I think I might just, like, ride for Egypt. Just because of Salah Nation. Salah Nation. If he's the hottest player <laughs> in the world going in there, he's got El Nenny backing him up. Yeah. What, what could go wrong? Um, and the team that I think is going to have problems this time around is uh, Germany. Why not? I'm just going to say that Germany is going to have a. They have like a relatively. I don't know if it was an easy group, but I just feel like um, something's got to give. Yeah. I. What I would say is so. The. 
pots for the group stages were arranged by ranking, so it's created sort of much more balanced groups. And the sort of impulse is to predict that all the favorites are going to go through, but, like, it's so few games, and I think we kind of forget at the last World Cup, Spain was a defending champ, and they got just totally wrecked <laughs> wrecked in the group yeah. stages. So I think there there is going to be some kind of crazy shock, yeah. and like you said, like Germany and Mexico... Uh, Sweden, those teams are like good enough. Maybe Zlatan comes back that they shock someone. I think there'll be some favorite, big favorite that's going to get knocked out in the group stage. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back next week. We got a bunch of derby matches to talk about. We'll rock this before we get out of here for Christmas. Hope you guys have a good weekend. Enjoy the soccer. Support for today's episode of Ringer FC comes from Hotel Tonight, an awesome app for finding and booking great deals at great hotels. No crashing on an air mattress in your childhood bedroom this year. Instead, block down your holiday plans with Hotel Tonight. Book a room for up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. Or wait until the last minute if that's more your speed. You can make a break for it when Uncle Tony starts talking politics. Whether you need a room for tonight, the holidays, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app.